You're listening to Your Higher Self Podcast, episode number three, Positive Body Image with Dr. Morgan Francis. We are going to be talking everything from body image to mental health and how she is ending the stigma with it. Um, welcome, Dr. Morgan. Please let us know just like a little bit about yourself. We're so curious to hear about your story and how you got started in this industry. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on here. I feel so honored um, because I'm just a big fan of everything that you are doing. And you are just such a light. And I just feel really blessed that our paths have crossed. So it's really quite an honor for me to be just a part of your journey and what you're providing for women. I just love everything you're doing. So thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I feel, I feel honored. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I'm a licensed mental health professional. So um, I have my doctorate in clinical psychology and I am a business owner. I own a private practice here in Scottsdale, Arizona called Scottsdale Premier Counseling. And it's been up and running for about almost three years. And then prior to that, I was at a group practice. I was at a group practice um, for 10 years called Psychological Counseling Services. And um, there I specialized in sexual health. And I worked a lot with um, men that were struggling with pornography and infidelity. Um, and then what I saw was a lot of men were struggling with their body image and body image has always been a niche that I've been interested in. And my dissertation for my doctorate was on body image and cosmetic surgery and studying our self concept. So being able to work with men who are influenced with their, um, their own masculinity being challenged because of, um, you know, uh, interaction with pornography was definitely a really interesting area for me to work with. And then from there, I started working with the women that they were um, in relationships with, um, that were um, feeling betrayed and insecure, blaming their bodies as a reason that their partners have um, been unfaithful. And what we know from research is that 95% of men don't cheat on their partners because of what they look like. It actually has little to do with their partners and so much more about themselves and their own trauma and a lot of their um, uh, repressed emotions um, because pornography and infidelity and fantasy of um, sexual health is all about escaping from our reality, which is what we see with drugs and alcohol, which is what we see with um, binging, which is what we see with impulsive shopping or gambling. So it all just goes into the same area of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex that is getting overly saturated with dopamine. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter that's you know, responsible for pleasure. So when a person is acting out, whether it be food or drugs or alcohol or sex, that's really what's happening for them. And so being able to come up with um, strategies and working with them to have better tools and skills was really what I focused on for about 10 years. And then when I left that program, I ended up making, uh, creating my own practice. And then I just really made my niche more about body image specifically and helping uh, men and women feel more comfortable in their bodies because so many times we're at war with our bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's amazing. I love how working with men actually is what transitioned you into working with women. Yes. Um, and I'm curious, and I know our listeners and viewers are curious, what is your own personal story? Is there anything kind of like from your past, your experiences that also kind of played into this for you? Oh, yes, absolutely. So 
Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I grew up in a very secure, attached family. And when I was 16, my brother died in a car accident. And that completely changed and shifted my whole life. And one, when, when that happened, you know, it's almost like pre and then post because my attachment to my parents, everything that I knew was completely you know, changed. And so I really was in this very uh, grieving process. And right away, um, my family put me into therapy to deal with the loss. Um, and I did art therapy, I did photography, um, music therapy, talk therapy, and it was really such a helpful process um, to deal with the loss. But as much as and as effective as that was, as I went into college, I also became really good at avoiding pain. And, mm -hmm. and so a way for me to avoid pain was to try to control or what I thought I was controlling with what I was putting in my mouth or what I was not putting in my mouth as far as food. And so I became very hyper-focused on my body and I would spend countless hours in the gym. I was tracking everything. Um, I mean, I name, an, name anything. I knew exactly the calories, the carbs, the fat, the sugar. I mean, you know how it is. We, we know, right? And um, um, I was obsessed and with food, and it was taking up so much space in my life. Um, I would be out on a date, and all I could think about was the bread that was being put down on the table because I hadn't eaten any bread in months. Um, so it smelled so good, and I couldn't even focus on the conversation I was having. Um, I wouldn't go to social events. I wouldn't go to pool parties because I was so insecure about the way that I looked. Um, I developed a horrible eating disorder of bulimia, but also restrictive, um, um, you know, type of, you know, starving myself as well. Um, you know, all these um, rules is what I followed. I mean, so many rules. And it really destroyed that time in my life. And this is something I, I often share with my patients is, you know, even when I was in my thinner body, I don't look back at a time in my life and wish for that body back. I wish for that time back mm -hmm. because I wasn't living. I was actually like staying isolated and removing myself from experiencing life because I was so consumed with food and so fearful that I couldn't enjoy going out and I couldn't enjoy having relationships and it actually destroyed one of my relationships because I was just so consumed with food that we couldn't get anywhere with our relationship because he was not as important to me as the food and how I, how I was going to get rid of it. Right. So I went back into therapy and this time it really focused more on getting help for my eating disorder and I got help for my eating disorder. But what happened, <clears throat> excuse me, is that there's this whole other layer of body image that wasn't treated in my treatment for eating disorders. So my binging stopped, my purging stopped, my restrictiveness stopped, but I was still really flirting around with diet culture and I was still following, you know, programs that were all about me still losing weight. It was still selling me something to be in a smaller shape or size and sending me these, these subtle messages that my body wasn't good enough. Right. And um, that's when I was like, this is interesting. I need, and I'm a researcher, so I need to learn more about this. So I'm all about, you know, education is power. 
And I really just dove into understanding body image. And when I moved out to Arizona, um, you know, being from Ohio, I would go to the gym and I would have like a t-shirt on and a backpack. And I mean, I had no makeup on. And when I came out to Arizona, I mean, women were done up. I mean, lashes were done, makeup's on, hair is down. I don't know how women work out with their hair down. It's, it's still, I don't, I don't know how you all do it. Do it. I don't know. And, you know, little, like barely clothing covering their bodies and they've got their designer purses. And I'm like, what is this? It's like a <laughs> matching bra and pants. They have yes. <laughs> this, is crazy. this is a whole nother level. And I definitely stood out because, um, I didn't look like the rest of the women out here. And so that really got me fascinated with cosmetic surgery and I'm not pro or against any type of surgery because I really feel that it's an individual choice. What I try to make sure that people know is that it's not going to take away all of your problems uh, because I've seen it. I've seen it with like my friends. I've seen it with family members. I've seen it with my patients, whether they undergo lap band surgery or breast augmentation or tummy tuck or whatever it may be that all those emotions, all of those problems are still going to be there. And oftentimes we're sold this magical dream that if we get this surgery or if we do this program or if we lose this amount of weight, then everything's going to be okay. And it, it's not because that's what I believed. I believed that once I had lost the weight, my boyfriend would stop cheating on me. I believe that once I lost the weight, I would get that promotion. I believe that once I lost the weight, my dad would notice me. Well, no, I had to do the work. The relation, the reason my boyfriend was cheating on me was because it was his issues, not mine. You know, and I needed to sit down with my dad and have conversation with him for us to rework our relationship and heal it. And that promotion, I just got to get in the room and I've got to assert myself and I've got to get confidence within myself. Right. So that's really what I try to help individuals understand is that the work from body image is not done from the outside in. It's done from the inside out. So what would you say is the first step? Is it education? Is it knowledge? Is it seeking, um, men, you know, support with our mental health? Like, what do you think would be, I know it's so hard to give like universal generalized, but what do you think was the first thing for you that helped you? Well, I think the first thing for me was to become educated, to read about it, to know that what I'm thinking, um, wasn't just me. I, I, I wish I remember who it was, but I, I remember Googling body image and this is again, like I'm old. So this is a long time ago when there wasn't like, you know, internet, like there was, there is now. Right? So I remember Googling it and, and I read this thing where this lady's like, you don't have to change your body. You can love your body the way that it is. And I was like, wait, what? No, 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 no. Like, no, no, I have to change my body. Like I, my body's never going to be good enough until whatever I've told myself. Right. And it was so um, shocking. And, but it was, it made me curious to learn more. And I just kept digging and digging. And I was like, wow, I, I don't, I don't have to do this to myself anymore. Like I can give up all of these rules. And for me, it was not learning more, but unlearning. I think right now I tell a lot to my patients, I'm like, you know more than I do when it comes to food. Like, you know your macros, you know what works, protein, I, I don't know, you all know more than I do. I said, but that's not what I want you to know. I want you to know about you beyond food, mm -hmm. right? Like your body doesn't make you who you are. 
you are you because of who you are, mm -hmm. right? And that's having a better self-concept. And what happens when we put all of our focus on our physical appearance, we lose who we are. And I see it, I saw it with myself and I see it so much with women. What do you say to those women who are scared of being themselves? You know, they're scared of what their authenticity could be, or um, I think a lot of it is the fear of being seen, you know, the fear yeah. of even the fear of being successful, the fear of failure. What do you have to say to them? Because I know a lot of our listeners and viewers feel that way. It's, they're scared. Yeah, it's okay. Right? I, I think I want to validate that because we're programmed as women to be scared. Mm -hmm. to not get into the rooms, to not take those steps, to stay oppressed, to stay small. I mean, there's no coincidence that one of the first diets that came out was around the same time women got the right to vote. I mean, there's no coincidence there. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Oh yeah, yeah. So dieting's been, a long, been around for a while. It's not that dieting didn't happen before, you know, the, the year that women got the right, the right to vote, but it also, it was promoted to women and there's no coincidence that most diets, not all of them, but most diets are created by white men. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're not, they're not created by women, except for, I think, Weight Watchers and Melissa Hartwig, who've developed um, Whole30. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Wow, that's, I had no idea. I think a lot of our listener views might not really know what diet culture is. I didn't know what diet culture is, and I was immersed in it, right, with my bodybuilding and dieting and, like, needing to be a certain size and a certain weight, and, um, I mean, I was, I thought that everyone needed to track their macros. I was like, this is how you lose weight. <laughs> Like, this is it. You can go to Froyo and take your food scale. No joke. I would like tell my clients, well, I just take my food scale with me and I measure out my Froyo. Like, that's how I'm balanced. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah. how can we spot diet culture? Where is diet culture maybe something that's like not, you know, um, so obvious, but it like the subliminal messages of it? Yes. Great question. So diet culture is, is a couple things. It's, it's putting the, the thin ideal body on a pedestal. It's, it's looking at thin people and finding them more morally superior to the rest of the population. Mm -hmm. Diet culture is all about oppressing shape and size. So if you don't meet that ideal standard, that that means that there's something like internally wrong with you. Diet culture is basically a program or a gimmick to say, that you can only be good enough once you have this shape or size or do this program. Diet culture also to me is a lot about, it's very subtle um, as far as it's advertising because we can see it even in spas. So, you know, do this relaxing treatment to melt the fat away as, you know, you're getting your head massaged or something because you're in like this wrap. So, you know, diet culture, like you said, it's very subtle. Like here we're thinking we're being responsible, we're being balanced by, you know, bringing a scale or eating these certain bars. Um, but it, it all goes into it. And I think, you know, understanding that we are completely immersed into diet culture because the rep representation on TV and cinema on under uh, social media is a small portion of what real bodies look like. Um, and what I try to do, especially with my social media account is diversify the people that are on there. So what I'm seeing, so I'm not just following one looking body type, but understanding there's so many other body types out there and diet culture really, um, markets itself to white thin women. 
So, um, you know, a white woman can, you know, it's all about kale, all about cleanses, all about juices, right? And you'll see it because it's, it's these pretty, like, thin, predominantly white women that are in these advertisements and they're, and they're not, that's not a real representation of our population. Um, because we all are different ethnicities and colors and sizes and height and shape and everything. And so having diversity goes against diet culture. They're also the ones who are being sponsored, who are influencers, who, um, you know, Dyson is sponsoring them. Um, so I definitely see that. And also I read that article, the, um, the one uh, recently in the New York times, the opinion. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And like, as I coach myself, I, constantly I am trying to be more aware what am I promoting how am I showing up how am I you know maybe being prejudiced against um, you know it's um I recently read a book by Jody Pico I love reading and it was called all great things or small great things and really just educating me on how I might be being racist without realizing it and yeah. I think that's so important for anybody listening and watching to this to really audit their feed and, you know, what are you intaking? Because every thought is an investment in our future. So if you are following someone who is making you feel a certain way or think a certain way, that's your responsibility. And it's like it's our responsibility as people who are educators to show people what is diet culture, how is this affecting you, and just maybe offer them an alternative, right? Because we can't, we can't make it all go away. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, I, and kudos to you. I mean, I love what you just said because you're like, hey, in order for me to undo, I have to learn more and I have to be willing to call myself out. Mm-hmm. And not many people will do that. And I think that, that that just says a lot about you, that you're willing to say, hey, this is the way that I've contributed to it. This is the way that I've been blind. And there's many things that I'm still learning. And that's the thing. I try to follow people that challenge the way that I think whether it's on race, whether it's on um, culture, whether it's on gender, whether it's on um, body shape and size, just to get a, like, who's saying something different than what I'm thinking? And, you know, what what can I learn about that? And I think that as as a human, that's the platform that we have. um, That's our responsibility. Yes, yes, yes. And I, I definitely don't take that responsibility lightly. Um, yeah. I, think it's, I, I just think it's so amazing to be able to help people and empower them. And um, I mean, to coach, I have to be coachable. We have to be coachable. So I love that you said that about yourself as well. Like you're always looking for ways to have that lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to get into body trust. So when we talk about body image, I think a lot of us just really only think about the way we look. Um, and we forget, and you, um, alluded on this earlier, how we feel, how are we allowing ourselves to feel about ourselves? What are we feeling about our bodies? Um, how are we avoiding escaping buffering? That's like my favorite word for escapism. Like, how are we buffering? Um, so can you kind of let us know what is body trust and how can we cultivate more of it? I love, so body trust, I mean, it gets ruptured, right? So anytime that we are hungry and instead of eating we drink lots of water or we're hungry and we chew tons of gum or we're craving something and we're saying oh i don't i can't eat that i'm gonna have this instead Mm -hmm. right so that is breaking the trust with our bodies Mm -hmm. anytime that we've eaten and we're full and we continue to eat 
that's breaking the trust of our bodies because our bodies are trying to give us a signal. They're trying to let us know something, whether I'm full or I'm hungry or, Hey, I really am craving this. And when we don't listen to it, we're saying, and we're saying a message that our bodies are not important, that our bodies are not trustworthy to do what it needs to do. So all of those types of, you know, behaviors that we get into leads us to a mistrust when really our bodies are doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's digesting. It's using what we're putting into our bodies as fuel and energy. It's helping our brains and our emotions to, to like grow and it's keeping us alive. And so even though we have been in a punishment, like we will punish our bodies, our bodies are doing what it's supposed to do. So we never go into a relationship with a person thinking that they have to be absolutely perfect in order for us to trust them, right? We, we would love them to, but that's not realistic. Right. And what we want is reliability and what we want is consistency. That's what we want out of trust. So when we reestablish body trust, it's about being reliable and consistent. So honoring my physical hunger you know, satisfying the need that it is, if I'm wanting something, I'm going to allow myself to have it. And this is the thing. People are like, well, what if I, what if I eat everything? Like, I'm so afraid, you know, to eat this because then I won't stop. And the thing that's, when food is addictive, it's because it's been off limits. Yeah. The most addictive food is the one that you have forbidden yourself to eat. Yeah. Right. So that binge, the reason you're binging on whatever you're binging on is because you haven't allowed yourself to eat it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's where the binging can come into place because we have not been allowing ourselves to feel, to, to eat, to digest, to chew. I mean, even chewing, a lot of women don't allow themselves to chew. A lot of women don't allow themselves to have a warm meal. I find that quite often with women, they'll eat foods that are cold in temperature or room temperature but there's not like a hot meal. Um, and women need to have a hot meal at least once a day. I, I'm like, you know, let's go through what you're eating and get that hot meal in, you know, like something to warm the body up. Yeah. Um, and so it's just reestablishing that trust. And when we reestablish that trust, that's one of the four core steps that I identify that we need to heal in order for us to have a positive body image. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And for anybody listening who is post-competition, I mean, like, you just just explained everything that they have to do to get to stage. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I, and it's, it's, um, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I myself am finding myself between a rock and a hard place. Um, yeah. And because I'm, I'm so passionate about helping women post-competition but I'm also a coach and I've had a really hard time lately feeling like I'm not in a place of integrity because it's like, like, yes, we're doing it in the healthiest way, but still you don't have to do this. And so as a personal struggle lately, I've been really finding myself at a place of like, is this an integrity with me? Like, am I still in my value? Is this something that I want to continue doing? I don't want to be known as a <laughs> competition coach, but it's, it's hard. I mean, I'm really good at it and I'm trying to revolutionize the way that we do, you know, coach in that way, but still very tough for me because for all my ladies post-competition, this is why you are having such a hard time post-competition because you are literally breaking the trust that you have with your body 
over and over and over and over again. And there's, there's two sides. There's a woman who are like, this is my lifestyle. And you know what? Great. Like, but you need to be honest that this is an extreme lifestyle. And even in your off season for me, like maybe three years ago and I was actively competing, I would force myself to eat because in order to gain muscle, in order to, um, you know, put on X amount of muscle in this eight months of off season that I had, um, I had to break that body trust and overeat. And, you know, even though I wasn't hungry, I like, you know, forced myself to eat, to meet, to meet the macros. So I love how you said that. And I love that you said it's reliability and consistency, because one thing that I really want people to take away from this is that it's a practice Mm -hmm. and it's um, it's time and it's patience and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen yesterday or tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have so many thoughts right now of what you just, just again, want to, just honor that you're recognizing that there's potentially a, a moral a moral dilemma that there's this uncomfortableness because you know as Patrice Washington had talked about you know when we're not in alignment with our assignment yeah. right so you're you're shifting and you're noticing like my assignment in life or how I want to serve others is shifting for me and that's growth you know that's that's just internal growth and kudos to you to just even recognize it and whatever you're gonna do with it. I trust the Lord that he will, he has his path, but you know, figured out for you and he's going to put you in that path and he's going to put people in your life to do that. Um, and it's interesting. I, I, I met with a plastic surgeon. He actually wanted to meet with me. And of course, you know, I'm like, are you sure you want to meet with me? Cause I don't know. We're going to have the same way of looking at things. And he's like, no, no, I, I do. I really do. And I was like, okay, let's, let's meet. And it's been eye opening for, for this person. And it's been so great. Cause even he's like, okay, I need to rethink some things and even how I run my, you know, cosmetic surgery center. So I think it's just information and it's helpful for all of us to look at ourselves and, you know, I just kudos to you because I know it's so hard because so many people look up to you, um, for direction and advice and tell me what to do and, you know, give me that program. And that's really what, you know, in a sense, you know, dieting is all about. We want to be told what to do, when to eat, how to eat what time of day to eat. It's, it's like a mother. It's really, it's to me, dieting is, is having a mom. Yeah. Okay. When we didn't have a mom, you know, a, a dieting is a program that's like a mom that tells us exactly what to do. And with the hope that our, you know, confidence will soar and that we will lose all this weight because then finally, then we will get what we've dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can tell you, I work with people that are anorexic and they are the most miserable people yeah. because they're hungry. Yeah. You know, they're like legitimately hungry. And we are expecting ourselves as women who are in this time in our lives where we are creating, we're getting in the rooms, we're pursuing entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. We are pursuing. I mean, it's just, we're a lot of great things are happening for women right now. Mm-hmm. And yet we're living on calories that wouldn't satisfy a young child. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, that's the first thing I learned. I was like, if I got, if I'm going to (laughs) work, yeah, Yeah. I can't be in a, that's honestly why I paused competing. I was like, there's so much I want to do. And this is taking 25 hours a week. Yeah. And even after competing, it it literally took me, I think a year, a year, a solid year until I, I felt normal again. Thank you so much for just 
telling us, I mean, just preaching to us really for the last like half an hour. It's amazing how half an hour goes by so fast. I know. I'm like, we're doing a half an hour. <laughs> um, I just have some listener questions for you next. And okay. the first one, um, which I love, and it's for all my moms out there, but how can we promote better body image in young girls? Hmm. This is a near and dear question to my heart because it's the number one question I get asked. Mm -hmm. Because when I have a parent ask me that, what I really am hearing them say is, how do I make sure that my daughter doesn't hate her body like I've hated mine? Mm -hmm. And the answer is always, it starts with you. Mm -hmm. So children learn through social modeling. Monkey see, monkey do. So you can tell your child until you are blue in the face, how beautiful, how amazing, how wonderful that they are. But unless you're telling yourself and showing your child the same type of self-love, mm -hmm. then they're not going to believe the message that you tell them because they look at you and they think that you are perfect, that you are beautiful, that you are an amazing mom. Mm -hmm. But if you are saying something different to themselves then they're going to question well, how can I trust what mom's saying? Because she's saying something different to herself. Yeah. And, or maybe when you look at the mirror, you grimace. Or maybe you complain about the way that you look in your clothes. Or maybe you're not eating with your children. Mm -hmm. Right? And I see a lot of parents are like, oh, mommy's not eating tonight. Or they're doing the dishes instead of sitting down with their kids to eat. Um, or mommy can't eat that because mommy's on a diet. Um, you know, all those types of little things keep adding up and are messages that the child is witnessing. So in my home, I don't even have a full length mirror. Mm -hmm. I don't have magazines come to my house. Mm -hmm. I don't have any programs on TV where women are bickering and fighting over men or talking negatively about their bodies. Mm -hmm. I don't even have a scale. Like literally my daughter has never seen me step on a scale. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't talk about our bodies in a way that is, um, negative or critical. In fact, um, we'll honor our bodies about appreciating what our bodies do for us mm -hmm. rather than focusing on what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So tell me how your belly felt today. And my daughter's like, well, you know, I was nervous about this. I'm like, did you get a good belly laugh today? Did something make you really laugh that you were able to make your belly feel so full with laughter? And she'll be like, yeah, you know, or we'll talk about how fast our legs make us run or how we, um, can, our arms can help us pull us up onto things. Mm -hmm. And when our children are teenagers, it's even more important that we're having conversations with them because I would imagine if you have a teenager, they're probably going to be on social media. Right. And as a parent, I mean, it's a hard, hard fight against social media and you're not meant to win. In fact, you'll lose, mm -hmm. but all you can do is really do your best that you can to try to monitor and open up those conversations with your children when it comes to things that they're being exposed to at school or on their phones. Because even if, I mean, I know I'll do my best here, but at some time my daughter's going to come home and say to, say to me, mom, do I look fat? I mean, I know those words are going to come out of her mouth because she's a girl and that every, every one of us has said those words out loud. Yeah. And so it's going to tear me apart. It's, I'm going to cry and I'm going to do my best to help her recognize how amazing her body is regardless of her shape and size. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So that's really where it comes down to. And many times I see parents have their own fears around food, but will project them onto their kids with their relationship with food. I was working with this um, daughter and all she wanted to do was have some macaroni and cheese. Like she literally was like, mac and cheese is my favorite food. My mom will not let me have, my, have mac and cheese. Uh, and I just kind of just listened and validated her. And then I had the child step out of the room and I brought the mom in and I said, tell me what's going on. You know what, what your daughter really wants to have mac and cheese. Like what's, what's your fear? And she said, well, if she's mac and cheese, you know, she just won't stop. You know, she'll just want this and then she'll want that. And she just, and the mom had all this anxiety because mom couldn't stop because mom had been restricting herself from carbs or anything to do with pasta for years. So in her mind, it was a fearful food. And when there was a fearful food, then she translated that or put that onto her daughter. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so really, I had to work with mom first before I could really work with her daughter. Oh, that's an amazing answer. It all starts with you. I love that. It does. I don't have kids yet, um, but I mean, I, I want like five. <laughs> <laughs> I do have four dogs. So <laughs> so you're getting there because I mean, they're, dogs are, I mean, he's my, he's my favorite child. So... <laughs> Well, it's funny because um, I, I'm probably like hyper aware. So I look at my, I observe myself often and I'm going to say, what am I doing with my dogs that I can see myself doing with my children? And very much for me, I'll just be authentic and vulnerable is that um, I originally wanted kids to fill a void. And um, I can see, I saw myself doing that with my dog children. I'm like, come here and love me, kiss me, yeah. sit with me. And like, you know, force them to like be on top of me, like holding them. So, um, I'm, I'm really thankful that I'm really learning about body image and learning about self-love and what self-love really is. Right. Not like the social media self-love. Right. 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 Which actually that's something I did forget to ask you. How do you define self-love and how has social media really misconstrued that for us? Um, I, I think, think it could be, um, uh, what's, what's the word? Po uh, toxic positivity. Um, false sense of reality. Yeah. I think that there's like this, you know, total like toxic positivity that's out there that doesn't validate, um, a person's real painful experience. Right. Because when we are struggling with loving ourselves, I mean, that comes from a very wounded place and the, that woundedness comes from trauma right? Events that have happened to us that are really out of our control. And typically that happens in our childhood. And so it's, it's these wounds that we're trying to heal. And in order for us to love ourselves, you really have to notice the inner critic. Mm -hmm. And so I got really good at just calling out my inner critic when I knew she was going to show up, whether it was around my, um, you know, uh, friendships or my body or, um, just me as a woman or, I mean, all different, like, who am I to think that I could do this, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, perfectionism, all those limiting beliefs that we all have. I had, a, I called out the inner critic and then I got really curious. So the first step is no, notice inner critic. Step two is get curious. So instead of saying to yourself, why is this happening to me? Ask yourself, what is this trying to teach me? Yeah. And so being in a place to understand what sensations come up in my body when I think this, what is my pattern? So really becoming hyper aware of ourselves mm -hmm. in a way that's not judgmental. And mm -hmm. it's just an observation, right? So I noticed that when I'm talking to my mom, 
and she's asking me to do something, even though I don't want to do it, I do it anyway because I want to please her. Yeah. Right. So that's that, you know, what is, why, why do I feel the need to please? Where does that come from? Was it because, you know, as a child, I was directly or indirectly told that my purpose was to please people. That's my purpose on this earth. Right. But I'm neglecting myself with that. And so the third step would be be compassionate. And compassion is really the hallmark, is really the antidote to self-loathing or shame or self-hatred. Because we offer compassion to our friends and loved ones all the time. Yeah. You, know, we're, you know, we're their biggest cheerleaders. But then we don't talk to ourselves and we don't nurture ourselves the same way that we would a friend. So compassion really in its most basic form is, is just kindness. And when we allow ourselves to be compassionate, our bodies physiologically release the hormone oxytocin. And oxytocin is, it heals our body. It slows down our heart rate. It puts us back into the parasympathetic nervous system, which allows us to regulate, digest, yeah. oh, think, yeah. and, you know, think more clearly, have the focus, and we're calmer. When we are critical of ourselves, what we've seen from studies is that we actually go into the sympathetic nervous system, which is all about having our cortisol levels increase, right? That disrupts our digestion, mm -hmm. and we're more likely to make poor decisions because our heart is racing, our temperature is risen, and we're not in that calm state of mind. So we know, just from a physical standpoint, that compassion is really critical to our health and wellness just to function on an everyday basis. And it's so hard for so many people to give it to themselves. Yeah. Um, so the woman inside my program, Mindset Makeover Academy, the last six weeks, actually, it's a 10-week program, we have just been peeling away the layers. And mm -hmm. the work we do actually is really um, getting back in touch with our inner child. Um, mm -hmm. What does she need? How can we acknowledge her? Um, you know, what, you know, what boundaries are people, like what boundaries do we need to set in order to protect ourselves and our inner child versus setting boundaries to control other people? Um, so I, I love how you wrapped all of that with self-love because one thing that I really want people to understand and get is that self-love really is your self-worth and knowing that you are worthy of existence and that you are worthy of feeling, that you're worthy of love. And it, and it isn't, you know, um, I, in my industry, my Instagram feed, it's not have a leg day, a great leg day, and you feel so much better about yourself. Like it's so much deeper. And I think that social media is like this big band-aid, like, you know, do this program and you'll feel more confident, like do a great leg day and you'll feel better about yourself. Um, so, so many good nuggets in that. Um, so kind of segueing with that, one of the listener questions we do have um, is just to how do we protect our energy and set boundaries so that... Um, maybe like family doesn't rub on, rub off, rub off on us, or maybe people from work, colleagues, um, say that we are in a, um, like a doctor or like a service oriented profession. Um, how do we protect our energy? How can we set more stronger boundaries? Cause I think a lot of these women and turn women in general, like you said, we're programmed to, um, to people please, and to be scared and to kind of stay small. So how can we kind of like, what's the first step in doing that for ourselves? Well, that's a great question because as a, you know, licensed, you know, mental health practitioner, I mean, I deal with people's trauma every day. So I get how, it, you know, it's easy to take that. So I completely can understand. And 
I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest practices is, you know, really having, like, like I, I would say what this listener says about boundaries, having emotional boundaries, physical boundaries, spiritual boundaries, and recognizing how the boundaries, and I think you kind of touched on this in a, a second ago, the boundaries are not meant to change somebody else. The boundaries are there to protect yourself. So we can't, you know, we can't expect when we put a boundary in place that mom or dad are going to completely do what we want them to do. The boundaries are there to, to protect us in case mom and dad don't do what we want them to do. This is what I'm going to do to take care of me. Mm-hmm. So that's where I see people really get stuck is that they get frustrated like this. I mean, I, I put a boundary out, you know, but he didn't listen. I'm like, well, because the boundaries aren't meant to change him. <laughs> the boundary is meant to protect you. Yeah. So you know, helping them to understand more about, you know, the psychoeducation about boundaries. But I also think, you know, when it comes to your energy, you know, it, oftentimes it can be also nonverbal. So I remember being in a class and, you know, I mean, I'm facing you and I'm straight shoulders. So my energy, my heart, your energy is coming to me. My energy is going to you. But if I turn this way, mm-hmm. right, like I'm not as exposed. And so my energy is not going to be completely flowing through to you and nor is yours going to completely come to me. So I think as a, as a person, just noticing your body language and noticing who you need to you know, turn your body away from versus who you need to open up to. Oh my gosh. Yes. Your sacral. If you point your yes. away, you point your sacral part away from that person, then you protect yourself a little bit better. Yes. Yeah. Especially the feminine energy. I think that's really important with the sacral energy because that's the feminine energy, right? So yeah. So we need to just understand our body language and then also being able to understand how our brains can, instead of trying to escape, how can our brains elevate? You know, oftentimes we think of, you know, protecting our energy by just, you know, taking a day off and binge watching Netflix or scrolling my social media or completely just trying to escape. And, and, you know, while that's okay, it's not going to elevate your energy. It's not going to elevate your brain. So for me, a way that I utilize self-care is being able to slow down, to prioritize my time, you know, maybe, you know, music therapy. Maybe it's going and having um, a, a great conversation with a friend. Mm-hmm. It's reconnecting that way. Maybe it's, you know, for me, connecting with God, you know, having prayer or going to church, mm-hmm. whether it be getting outside and getting in contact with nature. But for me, lately, I've been very, very um, mindful of how I spend the time on my weekends. And it's, my time is very valuable. I, 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 I think Oprah says it best. The biggest gift you can give yourself is, is time. And I recognize the value of my time. So I don't just give my time freely. It's not just, hey, you can just take my time and, and do whatever with it. Like if I'm calling you up to have coffee, it's because I want to connect and you mean something to me. And I'm making an effort with my time because I value you. And I think when you value you, then you value your energy. And the more you value your energy, the more respectful people are going to be around your time and energy. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so beautiful. My favorite quote is be being a good steward of your time mm-hmm. is, is just like, that's like my mantra. It's like, am I being a good steward of my time? And when you yes. are, you actually are valuing yourself, as you said. And that is how we increase our self-worth, ladies. Valuing our time is actually the biggest, like the first thing I tell a lot of my clients. It's like, what are you doing with your time? Why are you mindlessly scrolling on Instagram for five hours a day? Um, not being a good steward of your time. It means you're not valuing yourself because you are procrastinating or buffering. 
Um, yes. Yeah, the buffering is huge. It is. And I like that word. I'm going to use that word. <laughs> I learned it. I learned it. So shout out to Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach School. Um, that's where I learned it, buffering. Um, you could just like imagine like a webpage loading and yeah. buffering. And that's what the escapism and avoidism, a lot of us do that because we're just trying to buffering from feeling what we actually want to feel. And we're just procrastinating and escaping it. So I would love to know, um, going back to the little bit more of the body image, um, how can we feel confident um, so, um, I'm going to call this listener question out. So the listener question says, how can I feel confident in anything I wear? And mm-hmm. I think we're asking the wrong question, right? Right. <laughs> so, so it's really not about what you wear. And, and I think it's, it's really about how you feel about yourself. So how can you start to be more confident in yourself? And I would mm-hmm. love to know your take on it. I love this topic. Actually, I spoke about this. I, I talked to, I was a speaker at a, a women's event um, and I, I spoke about the psychology of style. Ooh. Yeah, it was really cool. And um, I'm actually going to be speaking at it again. I'm one of the speakers at the Powerhouse Women's event um, in 2019, which you have to come to. It's here in Arizona. But um, I love this question because um, here's the thing. We've all been in those rooms, right, where we see a woman walk in and we just look at her and we're like, oh, like, she's got it. You know, she's got the look, she's got the hair, she's got the walk, she's got the confidence, she's got, you know, like the whole energy, right? Accessories, yeah. Yes. And we, you know, either become jealous or we become insecure or we just think to ourselves, I can never look like that. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about that woman. Mm-hmm. She is no different than you. She has struggled with her own body insecurity. She has compared herself to plenty of people. She has her own self-doubt. She didn't know what to wear either coming to that event. But the only difference between you and that woman is that she gave herself the permission to not care about what you think. Say it again, louder for the woman in the back. (laughs) She gave herself the permission to not care about what you think. Oh my God. Right? We're making that a quote car. That's going to be your Instagram post. Yes. <laughs> and that's the thing. We care as women. We are so afraid of judgment because we're so afraid of what people think about us that we keep ourselves small or we don't wear certain clothing because we're afraid of how it's going to look to other people because we worry about what they're going to think about it if we wear whatever you want to wear. And that's the thing. Permission is all about letting yourself be extra, too much, sexy, feminine, comfortable, tomboyish, awkward, whatever it is, allowing yourself to be because somehow, someway, someone told you, you couldn't wear that. Whether it was the size of your breasts were too small or too large, you felt you couldn't wear those types of shirts. Mm -hmm. Maybe you couldn't, you were told not to wear that color. Maybe you were told you need to hide your body or you couldn't wear dresses, or maybe you didn't want to wear dresses, and you've always just felt more comfortable being in casual clothes because that feels safe and connected to who you are, Mm -hmm. then own it. Mm -hmm. Because when you tell yourself, I can never look like that, what you're telling yourself is, I can never be like that. Oh my gosh, amazing, amazing. Oh my God. You are, I'm so happy we met and connected. I mean, Me you were like, everything I didn't know I needed. 
That's what Lori was saying. Lori's like, oh my gosh, she's like, this is therapy. This is going back into my childhood. She's like, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. You have a field day with me. I mean, I love therapy. I've been seeing my therapist now for a year. It'll be a year in July. And yeah, it's the best decision I made for myself. Um, so I encourage anybody out there, like you're not broken. No, no. And don't wait till there's a crisis. Just get in there, get it, start talking. Dump, dump that all that stuff out. So you don't have to take, come, you know, bring it home with you. You know, I mean, we don't have to wait till there's some, like a huge crisis to get it. Just get in just to talk and be like, this is what's going on today. Um, I have this visual image of all of us. We are all walking around with this little red wagon that we're carrying. Mm -hmm. And on that red wagon is really our wounded inner child. And it's all the trauma and it's all the baggage and it's all the shoulds and the could ofs and the would ofs. And we are so tired of dragging that red wagon around. And if we just take some time to go into therapy, talk about it, we can like, we can learn to let that red wagon stay at home. And it's yeah. like, we don't, we don't have to like carry it around with us everywhere. That's how I explain therapy to people. It's like, that's what it is. It's just like allowing me to like get into my wagon and see what's going on and talk about it and to know that I don't have to drag it with me everywhere. And all of a sudden I feel so much lighter. <laughs> it's true. I agree. It's, it's not that it's pulling, it, you know, something you're dragging behind you. I love that metaphor that, you know, that visualization that you created and I also see, you know, how I define the inner child is into three different parts. Mm-hmm. So the sobbing, hurting child, that's a part of us that's been wounded, that's been, you know, neglected or rejected or told we're not good enough. And it's the part of us that we tend to keep, you know, stuffed down. We don't want people to see. Then there's the original feeling child. That's a part of us that's creative, imaginative, silly, playful. And even sometimes we, we, we tuck that part away, you know, because the controlling child, the third part of the inner child, the controlling child is this dominant part of us that's organized, logical, rational, gets things done. And it's who we want people to see and to think that we have it all figured out and life's going really well. And typically what happens is that the um, controlling child becomes so dominant that these other parts have been neglected for so long. Mm-hmm. And so when we have trauma, it, it leaves a scar, right? If we, and, and maybe the message when that trauma happened was, um, it doesn't matter, or we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and so that, that wound, if it's not taken care of, spreads and creates an infection. And pretty soon it goes into like a virus into your body. And then it's like an asbestos or you have to get like that arm amputated because this trauma wound has become bigger and bigger and bigger because it's been so neglected. And that's what happens with our inner inner child is that we neglect the sobbing, hurting child. We don't talk about our pain. We avoid our pain. We don't know how to go and talk about our emotional struggle. So it shows up as on the surface, maybe anxiety, when really it's a trauma wound because your parents got divorced. And your dad left and you remarried and he didn't really want to be around anymore. And that wounded you. But now it's showing up as anxiety with your current relationship with your boyfriend, right? So really, it, it has to go back to the, the original woundedness of the, the, the sobbing, hurting child and allow yourself to have the fun. Allow yourself to be silly, imaginative and, you know, creative and all that kind of stuff because that's also vulnerability, Right. So Brittany Brown talks a lot about vulnerability and, 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 you know, vulnerability comes into our creative nature, but we can't, we squash them when we're only in our controlling child and we're trying to manage everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's allowing all three to exist simultaneously at the same time. Um, John Bradshaw is a great resource for that. Who is that? His name's John Bradshaw. He passed away, but he's got two, uh, he's got a book 
Um, he was the first person to come out around shame. It's the shame that finds you. Mm -hmm. um, and then also he has a book specifically on the inner child called The Homecoming. Okay. Okay. I'm going to definitely put that like in the notes for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much. I, mm -hmm. I had no idea about the three. I always thought we just had one wounded once. I'm, I'm going to do more research on that. <laughs> so how can we find you? How can we connect from you? How can we learn from you? Um, give us all the details because mm -hmm. I know everyone is going to want to get in this program that she is launching. So, so let it all out. <laughs> I'm so excited. So my Body Image Online course is launching on Monday, June 17th. Um, I could not be more excited because um, I feel like I gave birth to this course. Like, oh, I mean, blood, sweat, and tears went into this baby. Um, and it covers everything. I really, to me, I, I really went back and thought about that girl, um, my younger self, that was struggling, that felt insecure, that felt ashamed, that wanted to hide, that was compulsive and obsessive around, you know, food and exercise. And I thought, what did she need? Like, what would have helped her? Mm -hmm. And so in this online course, I go ahead and I do a full review of body image. I talk about why diets don't work. I bring in statistics. I review the Minnesota starvation study, which is the largest study on dieting that we have today. Mm -hmm. So that you can understand what people went through after World War II. We're still seeing today in our relationship with our food. I explain diet culture. I go over how you know, relationships even with our, you know, parents and family and friends can negatively affect the way that we feel about ourselves. And I also bring in a little bit about trauma, how trauma, things like our woundedness can also negatively affect the way that we feel about our bodies. And then I go and I explain the four core steps that a person needs to have in order to develop a healthy relationship with their body. And these are not just things like I just made up. This is empirically researched um, material that I put together in a way that is very, um, you know, action focused. And so it, my course comes with a workbook. So you can follow along and I have so many tools and interventions and tips and things that you can do so that you can really put all this material into, you know, your action plan. And so really, like you said earlier, it's a commitment. There's consistency. This isn't just, I, I made it so this is no like six week program. This is yours forever. So once you have the course, mm -hmm. it's yours. And I try to make it as affordable as I could. I mean, a lot of people were like, I cannot believe you're not charging more. Like this is, this is all your work. You're, you're not charging enough. And I'm like, I, I want it for the college girl. I want it for, you know, the girl who didn't have money. It was, you know, living off ramen noodles and, you know, just needed to, you know, get, you know, just needed to have someone help her because I want to make mental health more accessible. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as a practitioner, that's one of my ways to serve. And so that's where this um, online course came from. So it's called Bye Bye Body Blame. You deserve to love your body without having to lose weight. Oh, love it. Yeah. I'm taking the course. Um, so if you guys like my content, then uh, and if you trust me, <laughs> I'm excited to go through the course. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Dr. Morgan, for your love today. Really, that's like all I get from you is I just love <laughs> and like, um, you know, but like, you know, not that fake love. It's like real authentic, like you care about just people and, um, you know, your empathy is like very palpable. Like we can feel it. I can feel it. I can see it. Um, don't even know how we found each other on Instagram, but I. Oh, so crazy. I'm so glad I did. Like I, I, I'm a big fan of yours and 
I just think like every time I'm I see you, I'm, like, oh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of you. I like tell everyone. I was like, if you're not following her, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're so sweet. I adore you. So thank you so much. Thank you for um, thank you for our listeners and for our viewers today. Um, is there just one piece of advice that you want to leave um, our women with? The biggest piece of advice I would say is it's okay to not be okay, right? I think as women, we, we feel like we always have to have it figured out and always put together. And I know for me, one of the hardest things I struggled with was allowing myself to be helped. Mm-hmm. And when I finally allowed myself to be helped and I took those offerings, mm-hmm. it was a game changer. It was, I mean, literally, I keep getting gifts now. I really do of uh, people wanting to help me. And I'm like, great, because I was, I was really, I was rejecting all the help that was out there. And now that I'm a place where I'm allowing myself to receive, mm-hmm. it's so amazing. It's a whole nother topic. So you guys, you can find her at, at Dr. Morgan Francis on Instagram. What's your website? It's www.scottsdalepremierecounseling.com. And they can sign up for my newsletter. Thank you so much. I am so appreciative of your time. I just it means so much to me that you took the time to speak with me and my clients today and for any future listeners of um, this podcast. So, And that wraps up today's interview episode with Dr. Morgan Francis. If you enjoyed it, take a screenshot, post it on Instagram and tell us what your biggest aha moments and takeaways were. I will put her course, Bye Bye Body Flame, in the show notes. And just as a side note, this interview was originally filmed for the students inside my life coaching program, Mindset Makeover Academy, and it was just so good. I had to share it with you guys here on the podcast. I didn't have a podcast back then. And if you'd like to be a student of the next season, I'll also link in the show notes the application for that program. Thank you again for hanging out with me, investing in yourself. I'll see you guys next week, same time, same place. Have an amazing week and don't forget to be your highest self.